This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Ministry is not just what we do on Sunday, it's what we do in the scope of eternity. And our theme for this month is our missions month is having to do with eternity. Something that creates momentum for eternity or eternal momentum. And our lives have to be reflected in that. Are we having and is our, are our lives going to count for eternity? I think that's a good question to ask ourselves. Or maybe a better way to say that is what am I doing that will have a mark on eternity? And is there enough momentum to carry me and to carry my life through? So as I was reflecting on the theme for the month, and of course, Missions Month, which is one of my favorite months, uh, I just had a simple question. And the title of my message today is, Can God Do a New Thing in Your Life? Can God do a new thing in your life? And you say, well, of course he can. I'm not so sure that God can unless we allow him to. The book of Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, the 18th and 19th verses says this. And I'd like you to open your Bibles. Does everybody have a real Bible today? Let's, let's use our real Bibles. Let's, let's move away from electronic Bibles. Let's use real Bibles. Can we do that? I think it's important that we begin to use real Bibles. And here I am preaching from a computer. But uh, <laughs> I actually did read it in a real Bible, okay? Now, this is for the sake of preparing and having something to preach from. But the Bible says in Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Now, we have to understand where this passage of Scripture comes from. It comes from the book of Isaiah, the time period when Isaiah is writing. Uh, the children of Israel uh, are in a very bleak period in their history. They're in captivity. They've lost everything. And they lost all the things that they thought they would keep forever. They're not even in their own home country. And they're homesick. They're homesick for their land. They're homesick for the blessings that God had promised them. You know, there are many people today, not only here in Zimbabwe, but all around the world, that feel like they're in captivity. They feel like they're in captivity. And they feel like they've lost something. They feel like maybe they've lost some of the values that they once had hoped for. Or the earning capacity that they had hoped for. Or the community that they had grown up in. Or even that they've let themselves down with some of the things that they've allowed in their lives. Even some of the things they see going on in their nations. They're disappointed in the turn of events, the way that nations are turning out. There are many of you here today that have received prophecies and you've received promises from God. And so uh, what I'm saying, many of you have received prophecies, maybe some promises, and 
maybe they didn't turn out the way you'd hoped they would or the way you'd imagined them to. And uh, maybe you had a longing. I don't know. I talked to many Christians around the world. I was happened to be on a number of flights and just talked to people. It seems like the world is homesick. It seems like people are dissatisfied. It seems like more and more we're divided than we are gathered. It seems like it doesn't take much for someone to get angry. It doesn't take much for someone to spew out their disappointment. It seems like the richer are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. There's a divide almost in every level of society. Of course, the Bible prophesied this. It said that the ethnos, that the people would not stay together, that in the end of times it would be hard to keep people together. That's why it's a miracle that we gather together as the church. The church is the one thing that goes against the grain of everything else. Can I say something even about that? This will not last unless you're intentional about building relationships. The church, if it's just a place to gather to just do church, will fail. Because this can't be something we do, it's something we are. Jesus didn't die to create an institution. He said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And the church is a living organism. The church is its people. Every joint supplying. Every member contributing what they're supposed to contribute. So important that you find your place in the church, you serve in the church, and you build the relationships that God has for you in and through the church. So when I was thinking about this, if God can get to me, if God could do a new thing in my life, I thought, well, what, what, would, what would it require? And so the first step to embracing the new thing that God wants to do in your life is to change your focus. Change your focus. Quit looking behind you and start looking ahead of you. The Bible says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Forget the former things. This passage of Scripture. Do not dwell on the past. So if you're continually looking behind you, if you're continually looking at your past, if you're continually looking at what happened, you know, if I looked at what happened in our nation, both good and bad, if I kept looking at the past, I could get very discouraged. I mean, we've had a liberation struggle. Everybody had such high hopes after the liberation struggle. But then what transpired out of the liberation struggle? Many people did better for themselves, but most in the country have not done as well as they could have or should have. We did great exploits. Even if we were to boast about the past, oh, we built a great building. Well, that's okay. We did it. But this is the past. We can't camp here. We've got to move on. We've got to move on to the future. That was good then, but that was 15 years ago. God has something new now. Are you following me? If you're ever going to move on to the new things in Christ, you have to learn about the law of displacement. Now, I spoke about that a couple of weeks. I need two volunteers, two, two, two men. Just come up here quickly. Two men, just jump up here. One, two. That's good. Just come right up on the stage. Just two. Just two. You can sit down. Okay. Okay, you come. He can sit down. You were fast, not fast enough. And, and so the, the law of displacement, I want one of you. Who's strongest of the two of you? Okay. 
Uh, we'll take a vote later. Just stand right here. Stand right here. Come, 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 come. All right. Now here's the law of displacement. The law of displacement says that nothing can hold it, uh, the same. No two things can hold the same place at once. Is that right? Do you understand that? All right. So what I want you to do now is I want you to stand exactly where his feet are. So I want you to stand exactly where his feet are. There you go. See, something had to be moved out before something could be put back in. Does that make sense? And so many people think that, hey, I'm holding on to an idea, a dream, a hurt, a failure, a success. And this becomes your testimony, your legacy, your confession, the thing you talk about all the time. And guess what? It's hard to move from that because, and get the new thing that God wants to do because you're stuck in the old thing. You guys can sit down. Now, who was stronger? <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, I'm not, <laughs> just saying, just saying. Okay. So you cannot depend on your past victories to sustain you. The Bible says, forget the former things. You see, the children of Israel had had many victories in their past. And, in fact, the children of Israel recount them continually. They talked about leaving Egypt. Oh, that was wonderful. You should, oh, it was a, unbelievable. They talked about going through the Red Sea. They talked about conquering Canaan land. They, they talked about fighting off and defending themselves against all kinds of prospective conquerors. They even survived a division, a split in their church. Judea and Israel splitting and becoming two different nations. And they would talk about it, how God sustained them in their past. But what are they now in captivity? Now the children of Israel in captivity and all their previous victories were doing them no good. There was no value in the victories of the past. They needed a new work. They needed a miracle. They needed a new victory. They needed God to intervene and do something. See, the question isn't, what has God done in our past? The question must be, what is God doing in your life right now? Because I, I promise you, I, I was with some guys just a few days ago. And we're, we're talking to these guys. And they're all good guys, don't get me wrong. But, you know, we were talking about, they found out I was a pastor. And all of a sudden their testimonies start coming out. Ooh, man. These were oldie moldy testimonies. I mean, yeah, I, I gave my life to the Lord. Yeah, like before I was born. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but what have you done? What, is, what have you done for God lately? What has God done for you lately? No, it's all way back there in the past. It's not a living, abiding relationship with God. It is something entirely different. You know, I know many people that got saved. You got saved in high school. You got saved on an SU camp. You got, you got born again at, at, a, at a retreat. You, but your life since then hasn't moved. God is moving. God wants to do something amazing with you. Oh, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, that's wonderful. But that isn't an event. That's something that we should be walking in. As many as are led of the Spirit, they're the mature sons of God. 
Every day should be a spiritual exercise, a spirit, something exciting spiritually. What is it that you want him to do in your life right now? What is it that you're expectant for God to do? But remember, in order for him to do it, he may need to displace something you're very comfortable with. Like the testimony of 30 years ago. It's not wrong, but I'll tell you what, if that's all you have, I need a testimony of what happened today. What's happening for me tomorrow. Secondly, in order to move on to the new things in Christ, you have to know that you cannot allow your past failures to possess you. The scripture says, do not dwell on your past. Boy, I tell you, I don't know about you, but I can see so many people that are stuck on their pasts. Yeah, well, you don't understand, Pastor. You know, I went through a divorce. Well, okay. You can't get that back. I'm sorry. The divorce happened. Now, what are you going to do? Wallow in that for the next 30 years? You were married how many years? Well, you were married 15 years. And how many years ago was that? Oh, about 15 years ago. And you're still stuck? And how about the current wife? I've had three, and the one I'm with now isn't my wife either. <laughs> no, folks, I'll tell you what. It's imperative, it's important that you do not dwell on your past. Your past, it'll catch you. See, the children of Israel had failed God miserably. Every time he blessed them with good things, it's almost like they would turn and do something evil with the goodness he gave them. I kind of find that in the nature of human beings. If you bless me too much, I end up finding a way to mess it up. David said, don't give me so much that I forsake you. He says, but don't keep me so poor that I steal and dishonor you. See, God, would, God gave them the temple. What did they do? They turned it into a house of idolatry. God gave them the truth, and yet they lived and proclaimed a lie. God gave them his commandments, and yet they lived like they were suggestions. God gave them wealth, and they used it to abuse the poor. God gave them himself, and they gave him nothing but rejection. They rejected God. They didn't accept him for who he was. You see, in truth, the children of Israel didn't deserve anything from God. They'd sinned. They'd broken covenant. And they continually did so. By the way, those aren't just stories. That's pictures of you and I. When you read the Old Testament, that, don't, don't look at, oh, those stupid Israelites. No, that's you, stupid you and me. <laughs> we do the same thing. God blesses us, we forget him. God helps us, we forget. We, 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 we get so caught up. He says, these are given as examples for you and I. And yet, he still loved them. And he earnestly wants to help them to change. He sends a prophet. Notice the message. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. You see, God was not condemning them for their past. 
Neither does God condemn you for your past. They could do nothing to change their past. They're in captivity. Instead, God is holding out a hand of hope. He's in effect saying, forget about your past because I want to give you a new opportunity to start over. I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I look at people's lives. Some of you right now, we have a new government. We have a new Zimbabwe. And some of you are still waiting for the other shooter drop. Oh, well, what happens about the election? Well, you know what? Regardless of what happens in the elections, now's the time to trust God in the situation we find ourselves in. Some of you have moved to a new location. Some of you have moved to a new job. Some of you are making new plans. God is moving you out of your comfort zone, out of what you've trusted in. He's getting you ready for the new thing. And for some of you, it's very uncomfortable. But if you keep looking at your past, or you keep looking at your failure, or you keep looking at the future too far down the road, you may miss what he's doing in the present right now. Are you listening to me? He's trying to do a new thing with you and I. In Isaiah 55, verse 7, it says, Let the wicked forsake his way prophet goes on. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Boy, there's a, there's a message right there. Most of the evil today is in the thought life. It's what you think. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he becomes. But the way you think in your heart is what you continually think in your mind. Eventually it sinks down into you. It says, let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. He will freely pardon. All, all God is looking for is for you to forsake wickedness, forsake evil thinking. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's time to renew our minds. The Bible says, if you are faithful to confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. These are amazing passages of Scripture. This is amazing truth for you and I. But God has a purpose behind it, just as he did for the children of Israel. Next, if you're going to get anywhere in your spiritual life, you have to understand that you cannot live on yesterday's faith. Faith is now. Hebrews says, now now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. You know, I, I, I hate to tell you this, but God is not the God of the past. And, and God knows the future and he knows the past, but God is the God of right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. And that's why God's looking at your heart right now. Right now. Right now. And in the twinkling of an eye, you can change your heart. You can change your decision. You can change your course of life. Right now. But it requires faith. It requires a choice. It requires a decision. It requires moving one thing out and putting another thing in its place. Two things can't hold the same place. You can't be in fear and in faith. You can't be in doubt and in faith. You can't be in love and in hate. Something has to give way. You choose. God says, I put before you blessing and cursing. I put before you life and death. He says, but hey, choose blessing. Choose life. Choose, choose. But God's working with us. What's the application? You see, the children of Israel, 
they had experienced great spiritual blessings throughout their whole history. From the first Passover to the crossing of the Red Sea to the conquering of Canaan land to the building of the temple, the children of Israel had seen the hand of God working in and through their lives. Constantly they could see God. No other people had seen God as active in their lives, the true God, as the Israeli or the Israelite people, the Hebrew people. Yet their faith in what God had done was doing nothing for them to deliver them out of their present situation. Here's how subtle it is. I think I spoke about this a few months ago. The children of Israel go into battle against the Philistines. The Philistines kill 3,000 Israelis. They run back to the temple and they say, come on, we need reinforcements. They bring out the whole army. They bring the ark of God into the camp. The cheer and the shout is so loud that the enemy, the Philistines, are trembling. They say, oh, my God, they just brought their God into the camp. We don't stand a chance. This is the God that delivered them from the Egyptians. This is the God that took them through the Red Sea. This is that God. This is the living God. And they go out to battle, and the Philistines meet them in battle and kill 30,000 Israelis. Take the ark. Kill the sons of the, of, of, the, of the priests. How could they lose? Here's how subtle it is. Because sometimes our faith is not in God, but in his ark. Sometimes our faith is in the things that we've accomplished, the things of our past, the, the accolades, the, the prizes, the rewards, the things I did 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five, last year, last month, and it's not faith because faith is now. And faith is faith towards God right now. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Old faith for the Israelis, the Israelites, was not sufficient to deliver them from their present problems. They needed new faith, a new vision of what God could do. They needed to respond to fresh grace. They needed a, a new portion of the faith that had brought to pass all the victories from their past. So do you and I. Here was their cry in Psalm 85, verses 6 through the beginning of verse 8. It says, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. Here's my question today. If God speaks, are you willing to hear what he has to say? See, sometimes I'm afraid that I don't really want to hear what God has to say because I'm pretty entrenched in where I am right now. I'm quite content with where I'm at right now. It's not where I want to be, but you know what? It's too much trouble to go there, so I think I'll just stay here because it's not where I used to be. Just tap your neighbor. Say, I think he's talking about you this morning. That's, that's you. That's you. Just tell him that, okay? All right, so let me give you the second point today. The second point or the second step that we need to embrace the new things of what, of what God wants to do in our life 
is to clarify our focus or just to focus. In other words, we need to discover what God has for us, what God wants for us. He says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Do you not perceive it? Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. That word perceive is an interesting word. When I first saw it, it's, it's a Greek word, but I, I thought it was the same word that Bonnie uses in praise and worship called yada. Well, yada in Hebrew means to lift up the hands and to worship. Yada in Greek means to perceive, to know by seeing, to take care and have recognition of, to acknowledge, to be aware of, and to understand. God wants us to understand. God wants us to be aware. He wants us to perceive what he's doing. He wants us to know what he's doing. He wants us to know by seeing what he's doing. This isn't a spectator sport. It is a, an activity that we get involved with him. He wants us to know even as we are known. So what do you see when you view your life? Do you see possibilities? Or do you see problems? Notice what God said. I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. See here, the children of Israel have a choice. They could view their lives by their past or by the problems of their present, just like you and I, or they could focus on what God wanted to do in their lives right now. He says, you can either choose the way or the desert. I'm making a way in the desert. What are you looking at? Are you going to look at the way or are you going to look at the desert? He says, I'm a, you, can, you can look at the streams or you can look at the wasteland. I know this is subtle stuff, but guys, I, I, I'm so sorry. I'm tired of hearing about the desert. I'm tired about hearing about your wasteland. Now, it may be a wasteland, but is there a way in the desert? Is there a stream in your wasteland? Because I want you to know something. God says he'll show us a way in a desert. He'll give us a stream even in a wasteland. This is, this is congruent with all of Scripture. He says, I'll lead you through the floods. I'll take you through the fires. I'll take you through the storms. He doesn't keep us in the storm. He doesn't keep us in the, the struggle. He doesn't keep us in the trouble. These things come to pass. God wants you to know that. You need to know that. I, I have a little illustration. I'd I, need, uh, I need one connoisseur, somebody who really has good tastes. Is there somebody here that say, ooh, my taste buds are so accurate. I need one volunteer. Don't all jump up here at once. Just come. Somebody who says, I have very good taste buds. Do I have to come and volunteer somebody? Here we go. All right. On this table are... The ingredients that went into making 
the object you see under this plate. I haven't shown her yet. Okay? And I'd like you to just take your finger or take that spoon. Okay? And just take a little bit of each of these ingredients and tell me, starting with this one, what, what you think it is and how, how delicious it is. You're not sure what that is. Okay. All right. Well, try the next one. What is this one here? Just see what that is. See if you know what that is. Mm, I don't think so. Mm -mm. That's, uh, this is yeast. Did it taste nice to you? Did that taste no, really? No. It, it didn't taste nice. It's and a this little is, bit bitter. And this, one, this is flour. Oh. Flour. Did that taste really nice to you? Because I'll tell you what, you could take that home, back to your seat, and you can eat all that if you'd like no, to. I no, oh, okay. I really don't want to do that. Well, try this one here. Just try a little bit of that one. Salt. Are you sure? Salt. Salt. Is that, would you like a whole bowl of salt? Does, no, thank does you. it taste nice? No. No? Okay, now you try that one. That's required in it as well. Sugar. Sugar, yes, yes. And then this, do you know what this is? It's butter. It's butter. You, and I, would you like to have a big scoop of butter? Or are you, no, thank are, are you. You're happy. Okay. So these are all the ingredients. Oh, and, and water. Okay. These are the, but now each of the, go ahead, you can put that down. Each of these ingredients alone doesn't taste very nice, does it? No. Let me wipe your chin off. You got okay. <laughs> That was the reaction to how tasty that stuff was. None of these ingredients alone taste very nice, do they? Would you want to eat any of them alone? No. no. But look what they made. Would you like to have a, do, do you eat bread? Yes, I do. Try a bite of that nice homemade bread. You, you can just have a bite. You take that back to your seat with you if you'd like, okay? <laughs> Amen. See, those slices of homemade bread, they're delicious. Especially with a healthy dose of butter spread over the top of it. Mm. But all the ingredients that went into making that bread, none of them alone taste good alone. Especially in great quantity. Even sugar alone does not taste great. In fact, some of them are really unpleasant to consume. But when a cook, a chef, mixes them together correctly, they can create a most wonderful surprise. It's the same way in life. You know, sometimes the individual ingredients of your life, the individual events of your life are hard to understand. Sometimes they're just a bitter experience. But when you put them into the hands of God, the master chef. He says this. He says, I'll take all things and work them together for your good. He takes the bitter, the good, and he mixes it together. Sometimes he even has to put it into the oven of life. You think, oh, I'm burning up. Yes, you are. But he's making you into a nice cake. Okay? Are, are you following what I'm saying? 
So in order to discover what God wants for you, first of all, you have to see yourself as God sees you. You have to see yourself as God sees you. You see, the children of Israel had felt as though they were getting what they justly deserved. We are in captivity because we rejected God. Because of the way they lived, they felt like they deserved captivity. Some even believed that God would never have anything more to do with them. He was finished with them. But they were wrong. They weren't seeing God the way God is. There are some Christians today, they feel like everything that's happening in their life is because of what they did. They feel like God's done with them. They feel like God is finished, that God could never forgive them, that it's over. I have news for you. God's not done with you yet. God hasn't finished with your life. You may feel like your past has become a desert or that your past has made your life a wasteland. But with God in your life, it can become a stream of life. God wants to be a stream in your wasteland. Romans 8 says this, verses 1 and 2, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Folks, if you let the spirit of life work in you, if you displace the law of sin and death that is at work in your life with the law of life, the spirit of life, God can bring something amazing to your desert, to your wasteland, to our nation. If our leadership in our nation will just get out of the way, the old Zanu policies didn't work before, they're not going to work again. It's time to step aside and let God's policies come in. They still don't seek God. They still think they're smart enough to figure it out. I'm telling you, they can't figure it out. The natural mind cannot solve these spiritual problems. We need Almighty God to intervene. We don't need more white papers. The first 100 days is almost up, and where are the white papers? We have tons of them, but are we implementing any of them? Colossians 1, verse 21 says this, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Who did all this? Not you. He did. He did. You see, in order to discover what God wants for you, you must see your possibilities like God sees them. How does God see your possibilities? He says, I'm making a way in the desert. See, God's able to transform the desert areas of your life into fields of abundance, fields of blessing. He can take up a dried and useless life and transform it into a life full of purpose and full of grace. We've got to let him. Second Corinthians says it this way. Now, the Lord is the spirit. 
And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Folks, that's why it's so important that we spend time in prayer. That's why it's so important we spend time with him. What are the things eating your time that are making a desert place for you? I know some people, they, 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 the more in trouble they get, the more time they spend away from church, away from God, away from good fellowship. They become distracted that leads to destruction. They become agitated. They feel, oh, nah, I've, I've confessed that sin so many times, God can never forgive me. They, they, they get into a place where they just don't know what to do anymore. And they leave God out of their life instead of running to him. That's not how God sees you. God says, hey, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. We want to get into the presence of God in this, where the spirit of God is. The greatest step to embracing this new thing that God wants to do in your life is to commit yourself to God's plan for your life. What is his plan? Well, I believe that God has already begun to set into motion the events and the people who would lead you out of your captivity. If you read this story about Isaiah's prophecy, he'd already begun to set things in motion to deliver Israel out of their captivity while his prophet is yet speaking. He's taking them out of captivity and taking them back to a land of blessing. But it was still up to them to decide if they wanted what God was offering. That's the problem with providence. The word providence comes from two Latin words, pro meaning before and video meaning to see. To see before. How many of you know God sees everything before it happens? How many of you, you and I don't? How many of you, you know, we don't see everything before it happens? God's providence means that he sees before what's going to happen in our lives. And he makes the arrangements to meet our needs in advance. But if we or if the children of Israel refused God's plan, if they refused to follow where God was leading them, they could be doomed to remain in captivity. Folks, I'm sorry. But this is where your choice comes in. You can choose to stay in captivity. You can choose to keep doing what you've always done. Or you can be displaced. That idea can be displaced with God's idea. With God's purpose. We're living in a very interesting situation. A very interesting time in the nation of Zimbabwe right now. In fact, in the whole world. If ever we needed God's plan. If ever we needed his purpose. It's right now. God says, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in your wasteland. I'll tell you, God's already set in motion for you and for me, for this church, for this nation, a new direction, a new purpose. The question isn't whether God's moving. The question is whether we will follow him or not. Are you listening to me? Psalm 95 says it this way. 
for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. You know, there was a movie that I saw, and I'm not a big proponent of movies, but I saw the movie Dunkirk. And I'm a student of history. I love history. And Dunkirk, if you haven't seen the movie, if you don't know about it. By the way, the movie wasn't that great because it really didn't show the magnitude of what happened there. But Dunkirk is a town on the north coast of France, right across from uh, the Dover Straits, right across from the uh, Dover Cliffs. And in May of 1940, Hitler had swept through and conquered France. And all that was left for the defense of Europe were 500,000 British and French troops stuck in a little town on the shores of Dunkirk, trapped. Trapped because Hitler had brought his army in front of them and they had nowhere to go. Hitler's army and, 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 and all of his armored divisions were only 15 miles away. His air force was poised to destroy the 500,000 remaining troops on that small patch of land. It was obvious that the troops that were trapped in Dunkirk would face destruction or at best capture. And that would have meant total victory over Europe for Hitler. It's 11 o'clock. Father, we thank you, we worship you, we praise you. Seven times a day we praise you. In Jesus' name. Let me close with this. So what did Hitler do? What did Hitler do? It's amazing. But he did nothing. And to this day, no one really knows why. Historians still debate and they speculate about what happened on that day. But believers have an idea of what happened. You see, with the troops trapped in Dunkirk, the churches in Britain called for a day of prayer, a national day of prayer. Political leaders, newspapers, even King George VI issued a call to prayer as churches filled to pray for their husbands, their sons, their fathers that were stranded at Dunkirk. The most inexplicable thing happened. The next day, Hitler called his armies to a halt. To the dismay of his generals and to the dismay of those trapped in Dunkirk, for nine days, he delayed. Nine days. Long enough for boats of all kinds and shapes to cross the English Channel and evacuate the troops from Dunkirk one little group at a time. General Ironside wrote this. He said, I still can understa cannot understand how the Germans have allowed us to get our troops off in this way. Even the World Book Encyclopedia says this is called the miracle of Dunkirk. You know, my grandfather tells me a story. Back 
when he lived on the farm and there were no refrigerators. And they built these places where they would keep all the things that needed to be cooled or kept refrigerated. And they were called ice houses. An ice house is a building with very thick walls, sometimes covered by sod. And there was a place to put a slab of ice. And sometimes they would get the ice at the end of the winter. And this ice would last all through the summer because of the way these things were milked to keep everything cool. They had a tightly fitted door. And uh, these ice chunks were taken from frozen streams or lakes and hauled to the ice house, covered in sawdust. Sometimes the ice in the, in the ice houses would last all the way into the summer. Well, my grandfather tells a story about how he lost or a man that was helping him had lost a very valuable watch while working inside of the, his ice house. And he looked for it, raking through the sawdust, but he couldn't find it. Some of the other workers looked, and they had no luck either. But then a small boy volunteered to give it a try. And he went into the ice house during the noon hour while the other workers were out. And a few minutes later, he emerged carrying the watch. How did you find it? The men asked. He says, well, he said, I closed the door. I laid down on the sawdust and I kept very still. Soon I heard the watch ticking. You see, none of the other men heard the watch because they didn't take the time to get quiet first. It's the same way when it comes to hearing God. He is speaking to us. He is telling us what to do, but we have to draw close to him. We have to get quiet to hear his gentle whisper, his gentle whisper. Kind of reminds me of the story of the prophet Elijah running away from Jezebel. He goes and hides himself in a cave. The Bible says that there were went to hear from God and there were claps of thunder and there was a storm and a great wind and there was lightning and there's all kinds of things and then it says that he wrapped his head with his cloak and he heard a still small voice here's what I'm saying there's power in prayer and I feel like Although we've just come out of 21 days of prayer and fasting, I felt like as I was flying back to Zimbabwe, God prompted me to encourage you that in this season that we're in, if we want to hear and be a part of the new thing that God wants to do, we really need to hear from Him. I'm calling this church and I'm calling all of you to seven days starting tomorrow morning of prayer. Now, we're meeting here morning, noon, and night. I'm going to be coming to each of the early morning prayer meetings here at this church. And I'll be leading those prayer meetings. I'm going to be leading in a specific direction because I believe that your lives, your businesses, our church, and to some degree even this nation depends on how we pray. And I want to hear what God has to say. I want to hear that for the next steps of my life, 
I'm not punching in the dark. If God could stop the most terrible army in the world from taking Dunkirk, don't you think that God could turn the tide for our nation? Don't you think that God could turn the tide for your business? I think God wants to make a way in your desert, a stream in your wilderness. And I'm calling you to prayer. I'm calling you to prayer. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.